Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. A few weeks ago, The New York Times published an op-ed by British philosopher and author Alan de Bottom called Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. The piece suggests we marry for the wrong reasons, to escape loneliness or to make the sensation of new love feel permanent. And though Botten says there is hope for your marriage yet, the article begged the question, but when is it time to give up on a marriage? As a response to the viral article, six people, including authors, therapists, and a divorce lawyer, weighed in on that question on the New York Times website, and two of them are here with me today. Don Cole is a marriage and family counselor and a master trainer with the Gottman Institute, and Sonia Britt is an associate professor of personal financial planning and family studies at Kansas State University. Hi, Don. Hi. Hey, Sonia. Hello. In this New York Times piece, Botten says that one of our problems is that we rarely delve into our complexities and flaws before marriage. Don, with the couples that you've worked with and have studied, do you find that many people feel a bit blindsided after marriage when their partner's traits and quirks sort of start to emerge? I think that is pretty common. We go through this period that we call limerence, which is just an overwhelming hormonal experience of falling in love. At least most of us go through that. And that plays a big part in our mate selection choice. One of the defining things about limerence is that we are overwhelmed with oxytocin, which means we don't see things clearly. (laughs) It's as those hormones begin to fade that we begin to wonder, you know, have I made the right choice? You know, can I really trust this person to be there for me? And we start entering into that second phase that's a little bit more difficult. And that limerence phase, that is very Sounds very biological, and it's what people, I think, describe as like losing their appetite when they're falling in love and feeling even a little bit lightheaded. Is that what you're referring to? Absolutely. It involves all of those up hormones, adrenaline, just a whole uh, host of hormones that are involved uh, in that limerence phase. And it, it does have all of those effects. And even though limerence can be part of our relationship, you know, throughout the life cycle, it's not dominant as it is in the you know in the early months. Sonia, how are finances something that can come back? You know, in a marriage, sometimes we don't deal with problems around money, or we're so, as uh, Don said, we're so overwhelmed by oxytocin that the last thing we want to talk about is money, and then we get to the marriage itself, and those problems can start to emerge. Oh, absolutely. I think it's definitely one of the last things we want to talk about. And a lot of that has to do with from a very early age, we're socialized not even to talk about money, not with our parents, not with our friends. Um, We often hear, oh, you don't need to ask how much that costs, or it's not polite to ask how much that person makes. And all of these things we hear when we're little, and then we get in a relationship with somebody, and now we have to figure out how to talk about money when we've never talked about money with anybody before. And so I think it is a lot of those same things where reality hits and, okay, now what are we going to do about the situation? And I think, especially for couples today, they're probably coming into the marriage with more debt than maybe what they've had in the past with student loans or credit cards or whatever other type of debt that they have. 
and that poses a pretty big problem for couples with deciding how to pay back that debt. Um, is it still his debt or her debt, or is it the household debt, and how do we allocate resources accordingly? Often people then do make decisions about marriage and long-term partnership when they're in the throes of, you know, romantic ecstasy. And they're basing that decision on their instincts and on their emotions and as on their biology, as, as Don was saying. How do we course correct for that when we actually get to a place in a marriage where conflict arises? Don, how do you go back to people who fell in love on one premise but now are in a marriage and are dealing with more complicated problems? Well, I think what Sonia was saying is really important here that uh, people do have different understandings about money. And one of the things that we know, uh, money is one example, is that we all have very important issues to that are important to us that that really drive the way we think about things and the way we want to construct our lives. Oftentimes, those things are in conflict with our partner, though. For example, money may have a symbolic meaning to me of uh, fun and freedom, but to my partner, it might mean, you know, safety and security. So we are going to come into conflict. That's inevitable and it's natural. And if it's not about money, it's about something else, the way we raise our kids, where we want to live, how we want to spend our weekends. There's always going to be something. The successful couples, based on the research, learn how to accept those differences and stay in dialogue around those differences. The unsuccessful couples fail to. They're not able to talk about them. They get upset. They start blaming their partner because the partner's different. And that causes what we call gridlock, which tends to really start separating people. How do couples then become good at repairing conflict? How can they work to make sure that they don't get to a place where they're unable to resolve these kinds of differences? Well, there's a, there are several conditions that are necessary for good repair. And you ask a really good question because good repair is the heart of the matter. The main difference between couples who make it and couples who don't isn't how well they communicate, it's how well they repair. People who basically treat each other well in the day-to-day non-conflict moments, they respect each other, they're affectionate, they're playful, they know how to, to stay connected. Those are the couples that when repair skills are needed, they're more likely to work. So a lot of what we stress with couples is that kind of basic relationship behavior. Is that kind of like you're sort of storing up your reserves for, you know, of goodwill and... Yes. Okay, so then when their conflict arises, you you're not you're not dealing with it on a bed of conflict and and resentment. You've you've sort of established that you're partners. Yes, exactly. We call it positive sentiment override or negative sentiment override. You have this emotional bank account that is either that is either good or drained. And uh, if it's good, then when bad things happen, there is a basis on which to talk about it in repair. And when that thing is at at zero, it becomes very hard to do so. Sonia, what about couples who, you know, whether you characterize it as working on their marriage or are in therapy to address issues, for couples who are constantly working to repair their marriage, at what point is the work overtaking the relationship, if that makes sense, so that when do they know if they can if the money 
arguments continue to happen and the distrust continues, at what point do you know that it's time to maybe split up? Well, I think that's going to vary for every couple. Um, I don't think you can say, okay, we have had five arguments this week and zero happy moments this week. I don't think it's as simple as that. Kind of similar to what you can imply from what Dawn is saying, we operate in a much larger system. So I think couples really need to consider if they if they do think that it's become so significant that it's affecting other places in their life, their work, their social life, their intimacy life, and if it's affecting all of these systems, then what are the systems that will be affected if we leave the relationship and is and just kind of make a pro and con list, I suppose, and really try to identify how much changes will happen if you do split because that one change is going to set off a number of other chain reactions. And what are those chain reactions? And is that better than where you are now? But I think for all couples, it's important to to really evaluate that, to have a third person come in and look at the situation. And for couples who are arguing about money, that's more difficult because there are frankly not a lot of therapists trained in personal finance. And equally so, there's not a lot of personal finance advisors trained in marital issues. So finding somebody trained in both areas or financial therapy is really important. You would think that would be a growth industry. (laughs) I think it is growing. (laughs) Don, would you say there's one clear question that couples can ask themselves to know whether it's time to end a marriage? No, I don't think there's one clear question. And rarely does someone come to the decision to end the marriage, you know, in that sort of simple, uh, I'm in it today, I'm out of it tomorrow kind of fashion. You know, I think... Sonia is right about that, uh, you know, it it varies a lot from couple to couple. Arguments are not really the big thing. That's where sometimes we kind of think about this wrongly. People very often argue and argue pretty strongly and even in negative ways that we would want them to change. But the arguments themselves rarely bring the marriage to an end. It's usually when when the arguments lead to the inability to talk. Mm-hmm. When people now have moved into what we call the distance and isolation cascade, the arguments have usually stopped by the time they, they call lawyers. They're not fighting that much anymore. Uh, they've just lost all the ability to talk to their partner, to trust their partner, to believe in their partner, and they start imagining alternatives to being with this person that seem a lot better, be there another person or another situation you know, living without the marriage. And those, they start making negative comparisons between what they have now and what they might have. And that's really a strong indication that the relationship is coming to an end. Sonia, one thing that I thought was super interesting about your research is that you found that it actually takes longer to recover from money arguments than it does other kind of arguments, and that the money arguments are more intense. Uh, why do you think that is? I think it's because every single day of our life, we have to encounter money. It's not something we can just push under the rug and deal with a different day. There are bills that need to be paid. There's food that needs to be purchased. There's bills that are coming in the mail. It's just a constant reminder of whatever it is 
that seems to be arguing why we're arguing about money. Um, that's one of the things about money arguments, though, is that it's often not about the money. It's about the trust or maybe a value system that we're placing upon the things we're purchasing with money. But we do have those constant reminders that here it is and we're having to allocate our money every day and how are we going to do that? Don, does that surprise you in your research and in your work? Have you seen that anecdotally, that arguments about money, conflict about money are some of the most troubling for people? Yes, I'm really surprised to hear that it would be the most troubling. It would certainly be one of the top few from my experience, but it, in a way it doesn't surprise me just for the reasons that you said, Sonia, that these things are things that we have to deal with every day and in so many different ways. What we've learned in Gottman's research into couples is the symbolic meaning, the values, like you were saying, that people put onto things like money is what really drives the the depth of misunderstanding and distrust that develops over time. And so, yes, in that sense, I'm not surprised that money becomes one of the, the hardest ones to deal with. It's certainly one of the big you know, the big five that we deal with every every day in couples therapy. If you both had the opportunity to advise a couple who was not married yet but was thinking about it, about the kinds of things that they should think about before they take that big step, Don, could you tell me what your best advice for people thinking about marriage would be? The first thing is to really understand your conflict management style. And that might sound a little weird, mm-hmm. but people... When conflicts come up in a relationship, we try to do different things. And what one person does to solve the conflict, look, let's sit down and have a conversation, might drive the other person crazy because they're very much, let's just let it go, wait for everything to settle down and deal with it later. So people come into the relationships with different conflict management styles. And those mismatched styles cause a lot of difficulties. And then the second thing would be to really examine as best you can symbolic meanings of things like money, of sex, of parenting, of relating to extended families, all of those really key issues that couples tend to get into gridlock about and try to understand what they really mean to each person. And if they have very different values, like I said earlier, money might be security to one person and fun and freedom to another, well, they're going to have a real difference about how they use money and how they feel about it. And what about you, Sonia? What would your advice be for people considering marriage, and especially when they're talking about money or hopefully talking about money before deciding to get marriage, what should they be talking about? I definitely support all of Dawn's ideas, and I would furthermore suggest premarital financial counseling, just going and talking with a financial advisor, looking at each other's credit reports so that there are no surprises. <laughs> That's so romantic. Yes, yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> It's so important. The individual may not even realize that they have outstanding debt, so I think it's informative for both parties to really understand the financial situation before getting into the marriage, talking about the values associated with money, their individual goals. So maybe I have a strong desire to contribute to my local animal shelter and my partner wants is more interested in purchasing comic books 
okay, how can we make that work so both of us are satisfying our wishes with our money? And also just thinking about what their personality is regarding money because spenders and savers tend to be attracted to one another. And that's one of those how things. How come? That, um, I think it's really interesting to think about if I'm a saver that, wow, my partner is just willing to go out there and spend money on dessert or just buying flowers just because. That seems really romantic to me because that's something I would never do. Like opposites attract and other features as well. But then once you're married and you have the same pot of money, then it becomes, it can become somewhat of an annoyance instead of this attractive feature with your partner. So you're not going to change either one with their personality type, but just having those conversations for what's an acceptable amount of money that we're willing to allocate towards certain areas. Don and Sonia, thank you so much for being on The Labor of Love today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. Email me your questions and comments and suggestions for topics and guests at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Kristen Meinzer, and our editor, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes, where you'll also find more podcasts from Real Simple. You can subscribe to The Labor of Love at iTunes.com slash Panoply or at Panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love.